welcome to episode 168 of the Collector's Quest podcast. In this episode, me and Johnny, we're just talking about six collectible RPGs that we wanted to talk about. Stefan is in the middle of changing jobs. He's now a senior producer at 2K Games, and he's been really busy the past couple weeks, but he should hopefully be back on soon. So we're just doing a, a little, I'm going to say a quick, quick 90-minute episode. We're just going to talk about some RPGs. Tell your mom about the show. Hit us up on Patreon, and let's go. back to another episode of collector's quest i'm tyler here with johnny what's going on guy hey how's it going tyler uh i'm doing all right johnny you know what uh i did today today or yesterday i listened to the video game history hour they have a really good episode about space war uh okay with the guy who wrote the book i'll plug his book which is what he did in the episode uh they build worlds and listening to this guy talk for an hour about, like, all the original research he did of, like, interviews and, and bringing together the original people who made this game. Like, he is clearly the guy who knows about Space War now, so I am definitely going to buy his book. Yeah, Video Game History Hour, not a podcast I listen to every episode of. And if you're listening to this, you might not listen to every episode of Collector's Quest and just pick and choose the ones that interest you. But that is one I happen to listen to, and uh, it was very good. I recommend it. Speaking of episodes that don't interest you, Tyler, hey, what are we talking about today? What a uh, segue. Was that so good? Come on. <laughs> you are not interested in engaging about Space War at all. Okay. Um, I think we're talking I, I about- don't, I don't know what Space War is. It's I'm like, going to be totally- It's often considered one of the first video games. I mean, often. It's one of the first video games. It's one of the. It's definitely like the first video game that looks like a video game. Okay. Yeah, that's not. Was like, it the one that was like? It wasn't the one played on like uh, the computers at NASA, was it? No, this was a, a PDP one developed in MIT, and like developed at a time where there were like a hundred PDP one computers in the world. So not a game that had a a wide audience, but it spread through like college campuses and stuff like that. Okay. Dude, go check out Space War. It's cool. It's uh. So it's a it's a one on one shooting game so each player controls a spaceship that circles around a star and the star has gravity and like think of basically combat if combat had gravity and spaceships and controlled kind of like asteroids but that but it's like the first video game but like there's older video games there's like uh oxo and crap like that but uh really good for a first video game anyway you don't know what it is so what's the point in talking about it talking about i mean you can i mean explain it to just because i'm a heathen and don't know oh, doesn't yeah. mean that our listeners don't oh yeah this was what is this like 1962 this is like super early in uh in the video game lifespan it was played on a a circular screen and it wasn't a vector monitor it's a point monitor so it actually uh it shoots points and just makes like a bunch of dots that form an image so almost like a vector monitor but way worse oh um, excellent yeah, I'm 100% sure that the Internet Archive will have, like, a playable copy of this that you could play. Because I think there's only one PDP computer in the world that works. And I took that factoid from the Video Game History Hour podcast. Okay. Also, and I love uh, I love the guy. So it, it's almost like an audiobook, like, um, who are the hosts? Uh, Frank and 
I'm going to edit it so it makes it look like I knew it off the top of my head. Casey Lewin. Casey. Casey? Kelsey. Yeah. Kelsey. Kelsey Lewin. I got her last name right. Kelsey Lewin. We'll edit that so it makes us seem like we know what we're talking about. Um, Hold on. Let me give you a, uh, let me give it to you fresh. Kelsey Lewin. That's it, Johnny. (laughs) Uh, So they step back and let this guy uh, do a lot of the talking since he's clearly the expert. And a lot of the things he says is like, well, a lot of the other sources get this wrong because I'm the only one who really did the the research and really got in there and fucking did it. And I love, uh, I love that he's right and knows he's right because that's the kind of person I'm attracted to, Johnny. What I'm saying is I'm very attracted to this uh, this guy on this podcast. Okay, well that's perfectly okay with me. <laughs> you are you can be attracted to whomever you wish. Just like I'm not very attracted to Japanese RPGs, Johnny. No, see that sound now you ruined my segue because <laughs> I was giving you the segue of thing that's why I said speaking of things you're not interested in Jap- Japanese RPGs, Johnny. No, that why 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 Wait, Japanese RPGs? Just RPGs. RPG I say Japanese cuz uh most of them are Japanese, even the ones on no, our short list today. No, back in the day they were just RPGs. There was no qualifier. Uh yes. Where are you going with yes. this? Take me somewhere. I'm just down. saying. No, I'm just saying that there wasn't like a qualifier back then. It was just like, hey, by the way, uh, RPGs exist. Like people didn't go, oh, Final Fantasy, that JRPG. That was that was just RPGs. There was no no delineation at any at that point back then. Anyways, I, I'm not on. old enough to remember hey. Johnny. Okay, so what we're talking about is a couple of RPGs. I think we got a list of six here for you. That we find interesting or collectible. We're not saying these are rare. We are not saying these are necessarily expensive. We just gathered a list of ones we thought, hmm, if I was going to like go recommend some RPGs to people as a collectible, these are the ones that I would be looking at right now uh, for various reasons, either because they have an interesting story or something has happened in the market with them. You know, it's not... There's not a hard and fast criteria. It's not like these are the best to play or these are the none of that happens. This is just a list we came up with that we wanted to share with you. And also it's a, a repeatable cycle if we decided to do, oh hey, here's some other collectible RPGs we could do. So Final Fantasy. That's what this episode is. Yeah. Final Fantasy Dragon War. Go get them. <laughs> On the Ness. Episode over. What's what are you buying? What are you playing, Tyler? <laughs> spoilers this is the second episode we're recording today uh so same thing i was playing last week johnny don't hey you gotta make something up you have to imagine what you would have played like tomorrow all right i'll cut this part out and i'm gonna say that okay perfect excellent all right so we have a list of six here for you we'll go through them pretty quick where we're not gonna overburden you like we do on all of our other episodes and again, it's just Tyler and I tonight, but I, I did pick a, uh, an RPG that Stefan would have picked because I've got him up in my brain. It's a good one. I said, this, this is the, this is the one Stefan would be bringing up. hundred percent. Yep. So, uh, why don't we, uh, go ahead and start? Uh, do you want me to go first? You want to go first? You what can you start want? us out, Johnny. Okay. Um, so this is a, an easy one. It's, it's not, it's not too much. It's not too expensive. But they have been moving up, and I'm I'm lumping two together here, so forgive me. But it's Golden Sun and Golden Sun Lost Age for the Game Boy Advance. 
Uh, something to know about these games, they both come with maps. They, you know, the Game Boy uh, Advance games have been going up. The market has been moving up. All video games have been going up. I, I mean, if you're collecting games, you know what's going on. And these went from just games that were always seemingly $50 to suddenly being like sometimes 100 to $200, depending on condition. It's, you know, games are getting a lot more condition set sensitive as more investor types enter the market and as collectible as collectors realize the thing to buy now if you're going to spend your money especially when things are at a high price is just buy good condition nice copies of games uh that's just a trend that you'll see moving forward so we've always said condition matters but every day that sentence gets more true and hey johnny uh, do you remember the collector's quest podcast uh saying for years that the premiums for conditions are not nearly what they should be and you should be buying nice games yeah yeah we sure did say that and here we we are yeah i mean this this is something like even if we didn't follow that advice that's something we've known and tried to communicate to everyone but anyways uh so what's interesting about these games well the series did continue uh not very far there's like a ds one but these are games that were pretty well received back in gba times I don't know why there isn't more love for them. They were also, uh, I think the first one was made by the original creator of Shining Force. So that's a, that's a me thing. I love me some Shining Force. That's what joke. God damn it. What? I was going to say, you know, who made this game, the guys who make the Mario golf games and you you made it a Shining Force. God, it's Camelot software planning, but yes, (laughs) but yeah, Um, I'm so sorry, Tyler. Man, how does it feel to have your jokes ruined? Does it hurt? Is it annoying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's is different it? than just not understanding a joke is like taking the joke and pulling the rug out from under it before it can be made. It's the same thing. It's joke was a joke ruined or wasn't it? Oh my god. It's just a binary keep going. Option. Tell me more about Golden Sun. Should I buy it, Johnny? Is this You should definitely buy it. It's also a good game. So like there's not, it's, you know, we're not making play recommendations, but I can tell you they're both sure. solid RPGs and they're pretty fun. I, I think this will be a property one day revisited as we go into the future. They're going to be like, oh man, why, why don't we have more Golden Sun games when we need, like when they decide that RPGs are in again, they're going to look at, pro- Nintendo's going to look at properties it has and they're going to find Golden Sun and you're going to be like, I wish I had those. And also they've been trending up, so Go look at them. You can even still find some of them sealed if that's if that's the way you like to go, you know, between three and five hundred dollars. So if you keep an eye on on the various markets, you can find it for that price and then you can go send it to Wada or whatever you want to do and and make a mint. Um yeah. I think is Nintendo's like RPG of choice now is Xenoblade, right? They they don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, I, I think so, but sun. when they, that's ancient. Yeah, but one day they're gonna realize that the like Nintendo does go back and realize properties they haven't touched in a while i mean they're actually not great at that uh, if you look at like i don't know um kid icarus how, how they wasted that and like f-zero whatever um they uh they're gonna realize just saying yeah uh, i mean i'm not yeah, like yeah go by golden sun it's a popular nintendo franchise it's it's one of the most acclaimed games on gba uh i mean in a world of acclaimed games on gba it was was it a launch title or was it just like really close to launch? Because that was uh, everyone had Golden Sun. Yeah, I don't think it was a launch title. I think it came out 
after. Johnny, we're going to do some live research on the podcast. Right. Came out Let's in June. GBA came out in June. This game came out in November. So it was right after launch. It was by the time I had a GBA in my hand, Golden Sun existed. Yes, me too. Uh, I remember it. I, I thought the battles looked so cool. Um, so I hate one of the things I hate about Final Fantasy seven is that when you get into a battle, the camera really slowly rotates around the board to show everyone that's happening. And when you get into a Golden Sun battle, it does the same kind of 3D perspective thing. And it but it happens in like half a second. And I just remember thinking that's really attractive for some reason. Um, and Man, then you are talking about what you're attracted to a lot in this. Episode. I am. I'm, I'm attracted to a lot of things, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, I mean, you sent me that, uh, that Japanese pillow video and it was, uh, yeah, I did. a lot of things in there. You're, you're feeling your feels right now. I get it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing yeah. I remember about golden sun is that if you were to make, make like a parody game that had just like all the tropes and it's just like, oh, we're just going to be like a bunch of teenagers who go and collect the four crystals. Like that is exactly what Golden Sun is. It is the most cliche piece of garbage plot, but it doesn't matter. Just put it on your shelf and don't think about that. Yeah, but it's also it's also a finely made game. Like yeah. it, it is, a it, you know, plot aside, like if you're looking at a lot of RPG plots, you know, there are a lot of contrivances made there. Okay? Johnny, like, I'm just saying, like, RPGs, the gameplay is usually pretty repetitive and like, eh, unless it's like a tactical RPG. So shouldn't the whole point of the plot be that it's amazing? The point is that you grow with the characters over time and and you see that your the work you put in uh, amounts to something. And that's where a lot of RPGs get it wrong. They think, oh, well, we'll just like cram everything this but you, it, it, the role play is there. It's like having a D&D character. You're like, oh man, I leveled up. I want to see what happens now. I want to see as my character. I want my spells to be more impressive. I want to be stronger. I, I want to attack this goblin and I want I want to have cleave on and I want to kill the goblin next to him because I'm such a badass. That's what happens in RPGs and a, a lot of people uh, lose that element. And that's like what Shining Force was like pretty cool about uh, back in the day, like in the you know early Shining Force one and two era, I mean they continue that as one of their tropes. But like your characters even changed their appearance. Final Fantasy did that. So you went through your trials and like you were already your spells were advancing, but you went through the trials. You got the tail. You brought it back to the dragons, and they're like, boom, you're better now. Then you're like, then your black mage doesn't just look all like weird. Suddenly he drops his hood. He's wearing shades and he's ready to you know go nuke literally nuke some people. It's great. All right, Johnny. All right, the next game, unless you have something else to say about Golden Sun. I know literally nothing I, about I the sequel. I couldn't make it through the first game. No, go ahead. Uh, go to your first one. Uh, Lucian's Quest for the 3DO, which... Hey, uh, are you going to do that one? I don't know. I, we're just doing this in the order we wrote them, Johnny. Whatever. Oh, okay, so this is this is Stefan's pick. This is Stefan's on oh, this pick. is Oh, it's Stefan's pick because he owns it, and it's very rare and expensive. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Lucian's Quest. Um, not the most expensive 3DO game because that's probably Dino Park Tycoon. Uh, is there yeah. anything else more expensive besides Dino Park Woody Tycoon? Woody Woodpecker, maybe? No, I doubt it. Because Woody Woodpecker doesn't have like the sexy Instagram ability. It's definitely rarer than Lucian's Quest. Yeah. Also, does anyone know how to pronounce Lucian's Quest? Because is it Lucian's? Lucian's. Lu- 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 yeah, we're, I didn't even we're spell it right it when looking for it right now. Yeah, um, it, 
I mean, it's got a lot of C's, a lot of E's, N's, and S. It's like L U I C E N N E S or something like that. Lucian's? Uh, I think it's Lucian's, but I could. Lucian's Quest. So a couple sold this year. Uh, so one yes. sold for a thousand and one sold for 1300. The 1300 one looks like 100% complete. Like, I almost think that was a deal. Yeah, I, that one looked really nice. There's like a really bad one on eBay right now oh, for like 840. It's, it's got you know, a big old you know who has this? Yeah, you know who has this game? It's 100% VG Collectaholics. Uh, literally, to VG the first thing I thought of when you put this on the list was yeah, VG Collectaholics probably all about this game. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, we don't need to go into all that. I know, I know. Um, so it is, it's a micro cabin game, which is the people who, uh, made Mysteria Realms of Lore for the Sega Saturn. Yeah. Also, oh, that game's got another name. Um, Burning. Oh, what's uh, that? Oh, Blazing Heroes in America. Yeah. Blazing Heroes. So many names for a stupid game. Yeah. That, like, my favorite part about this game is... People describe this as one of the best 3DO games. And then when you read people's reviews of this game, they just talk about what a mediocre RPG it is. Uh, well, think of... Also, it's it's less than 10 hours long. But um, think of... what's a, Name another 3DO RPG. Do you know how we came up with Lucian's Quest? It's not just because... Like traditionally, it's like seriously one of the most expensive games of all time in in like the past yeah. worlds before all this started. Um, we were like, let's think of a console and then think of an RPG on it, and we're like 3DO, and the only one we came up with was like Lucian's Quest, I guess. Yep. Uh, and to be fair, this one was on my list forever. This is like since I started collecting, this has been on my stupid list, and I passed on it so many times, and now it's just like. Uh, you know, because I, I was at one point, I was just collecting all the RPGs I could ever find because I, I love RPGs. And I'm like, I'm going to get this, but it's 3DO and I don't really care. So it always just got backburnered. And here we are where now I'm going to have to spend at least a grand if I ever want this game. And who knows if that's will ever be true. Uh, you'll just you'll buy Stefan's 3DO set one day. I, I doubt it. I can't afford that Dino Park. Um, oh, my God, man. Go. It's a hot tip. The PC version of Dino Park Tycoon is, of course, better. Uh, and like last I checked, it's like forty dollars sealed. <laughs> I'm sure it's more now, but seriously, uh, the disparity. So yeah, the other fun thing about this is people often say, "Oh yeah, this is an exclusive." It is the 3DO version is the US exclusive, but it was also released in Japan on the 3DO and for the Sega Saturn, but under a different name. Uh, what is it? Sword and Sorcery, I think. I don't know. You're telling me. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah, I believe I believe it's Sword and Sorcery, and it's like 20 bucks on the Sega 7. Uh, all right. I mean, uh, RPGs sold well, no matter how mediocre in Japan. Uh, just take a look at uh, literally every console. Like, go through PC Engine, and you'll be like, wow, what are all these games that are only $4? And, like, all of them are just, you look at the reviews, they're all just like, yeah, it's just another RPG whatever whereas if these kind of games are released on the super nintendo people would be like yeah it's an rpg seventh saga i should pay 75 dollars for that complete i honestly don't even know how much seventh saga costs but i do know seventh saga is mediocre because i played it guys guess it what is... seventh saga is a hundred percent a 75 dollar game now hundred percent which isn't even is that much higher than it used to be Anyway. No, like considering what's happened in the world, like the fact that that's still 
seventy-five dollars. Pretty good. Yeah, and so you uh, you wrote a thousand dollars. So like that's like I don't know a lot about Lucian's Quest. All we know is that the reviews are tepid at best for the price. Uh, and the box art's not exciting. It's just like such a it's, it's so such boring. a ho hum yeah. trophy game. I think, and I know it someone definitely... will disagree with that, but. Uh, I mean, they, they can disagree, but they would. I mean, that that's going to be coming out from a position of weakness. You mm-hmm. cannot argue uh, that it's really anything more than that. It's exciting because there's not that many, so it's kind of rare. That's like interesting about it, but nothing about this game screams excellence. Though I've had it on my list for years and so, as something I wanted, so you know, it's just. I didn't even know it was that short lived. It's like ten, like for an RPG, that's like really sad. It's very um, sad. Yeah, this is a tactical RPG too, right? So that includes both exploration and like turn based tactical battles. Um, yeah. So what you will find out about this game, though, is unfortunately because it's like expensive, people have started to make fakes. Uh, also, it does come in that 3DO big box, so don't buy just the jewel case only version. Oh. Be, but that would be incomplete, so please don't do that. Um, just right. spend the extra money. Johnny, I'm going to move on to a game I know a little bit more about, unless you want to go out of order here, because you no, don't want to no, talk about this. No, I don't. Go knock it out. Uh, Wasteland for the Apple II and ported to Commodore 64 and DOS. So... This is basically in the episode because Fallout, which I recognize is a much more popular game. Like, not that Wasteland wasn't popular. Fallout, much more culturally relevant game today, I'll say. Like, literally goes like four to $600 complete on PC now. There's like a few 90s PC games that have gone up to the moon. Like, they're already on the moon. And I re- like, by some other standards, that's not the moon yet. But, um... There's so much other, like, random PC stuff that's still, like, well, 30 bucks. Uh, So, Wasteland is the game that heavily inspired Fallout. It is, uh, you're in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, and you play as a group of desert rangers. uh, And you can go around, and I don't remember if you recruit people or if you just start out and make your party. And, like, you go around, talk to people, and have battles. It's basically, like fallout but in 1988 and a lot of the interactions are text-based and it doesn't it it's rough like fallout is 1996 it's really easy to go back to fallout one i think it's still very very playable uh this is rough to go back to even like the remastered version in 2020 but it's also it's like a very early game with a persistent world so you when you go into wasteland you basically go into the game And uh, it would just like you are sent out to investigate a bunch of disturbances and like everything that you kill, everything you do in the game, you save your game and come back to it. And then everywhere else you go in the game, like it retains its state, which for 1988, pretty innovative feature. The same thing with the skill point system, Um, like just having stat points in different skills is not a thing that was really popular in games yet. Also a very early uh, thing of that. And like Fallout, uh, like the other Wasteland games, it's just got like a, a bunch of story, a bunch of moral dilemmas. An interesting thing about Wasteland, actually, like the entire game is less than a megabyte because it like literally fits on like two floppies. Uh, so to save space, they had to take the story, like chunks of the story are out of the game and they're published in a book that comes with the game called Paragraphs. So every once in a while, the game tells you to read from the book 
which I guess also serves as a form of DRM, but like it's just literally so much text they could not fit it on the disc, and I find that amusing. So make sure that uh, when you get great. your copy, it comes with the paragraphs book. And yeah, so, uh, or else, yeah. So the original release was Apple II. It comes in the EA Folio style box. So if you don't know, uh, a lot, a lot of, I think all EA games from the '80s they come in. It almost is like a, a record sized case that kind of folds open and has the disc right there and then uh, port it to Commodore 64 in the same format. Uh, Commodore 64 versions I've noticed are pretty easy to find sealed for like one or 200 bucks. If you care more about having sealed than having original things like everyone does. And then the PC version comes in an actual box, uh, which you might find more attractive because once you put the other versions on a shelf, you basically can't see them because they're almost flat. Um, and all of them are about a hundred dollars. Uh, I think the Apple II and Commodore ones, you could probably find uh, pretty nice copies for under a hundred dollars. The DOS one, just cause it's a box, uh, might be a little bit more than a hundred. And I think there's a lot of people who just collect like windows and DOS games and just kind of ignore all the other computers. So that one might be a little more expensive, but yeah. Really important game, uh, really cool game, probably not as cool as Fallout, uh, but part of computer RPG history, you should buy Wasteland. I agree. It is uh, It is a game that is, I don't know, much more historically relevant. Sure. For that, for that reason. Hell of a lot more historically relevant than Lucian's Quest. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, and more, more relevant than a lot of the games we're going to talk to uh talk about in this episode so yeah it's pretty interesting i'm not i'm gonna say that's a good choice all right it's got a sequel so, called uh fountain of dreams and every every listing i've seen of this uh a fountain of dreams has the word rare in the title and i can't tell if like it's a legitimately rare game or just no one wants it because it's not called wasteland 2 fountain of dreams <laughs> so there's maybe it's called fun fact. rare fountain of dreams. Maybe it, Oh, maybe it, maybe it was developed by rare and it wasn't developed by the wasteland guys. Interplay. Yeah. Probably interplay developed that. Anyway, that's wasteland. I think I talked about this a bunch cause I just bought one last year. So woo. Yeah. Uh, you, you're not going to get stuck behind the price lock on this game. You're, you're ahead of the curve. Uh, so as far as I could, I mean like maybe it's gone up, but like it doesn't seem like it's increasing in price. I don't think people really want it. Which is great. Stay away from PC. Even though I'm, I'm telling you to go buy a copy of Wasteland, at the same time, also don't stay away from them. Yeah, but PC big boxes have been going up. I've heard people complaining. Yes. Like, I'm starting to, to meet PC big box collectors, and they are uh, experiencing the same thing we are. But to be fair, every collector I've talked to in every realm, every arena, just talks about how it has been for prices over the past, uh, you know, yeah. 18 months. It's true. And like, com- like it's not even comparable because no one cares about rare PC games because there's too many of them. So you can't you can't collect rare PC games because you're just going to be collecting a bunch of garbage. No one knows what it is. Uh, so like the popular PC games are the expensive ones like Doom, Half-Life, stuff like that. Uh, so when they say something is expensive now, they mean like, oh, my copy of Half-Life that I used to be able to pick up for $50 is now $200. It's like, that doesn't really compare to someone who's collecting, who's collecting NES and they're like looking for Bubble Bobble 2 and Little Samson and stuff like that. Uh, like, what we, we just saw uh, Last Action Hero cart only go for $200 on NES. <laughs> Console people have much bigger problems than computer people. It's true. That's true. 
All right. Uh, this was yours. Um, did you want to take this or you want me to no, jump in? Go on ahead, this? Johnny. Talk about. All right. I, happily, yes. Tyler. Happily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shining Force 3. Woo! A game I love. I love Shining Force games. Uh, I know we've talked about. So I know it's like, oh, when we talked about this list, like, well, maybe not like the most obvious picks, uh, but there's a reason we picked Shining Force 3. And it's basically because I want you to look at the Japanese copies of the game. Uh, Shining Force 3, let me give you a little background on it. It was for the Saturn. It was released in the US. And only the first part, though, in the US. In Japan, on the Sega Saturn, it had three parts. The best part about these three parts is that they all tied together. So you played the story from a different perspective. When you completed all those three scenarios, at the end, it all tied it together, and then you fought the the boss. But then what there was, at the end, if you had bought all three games in Japan, you could send away for this premium disc, which had exclusive content and another battle scenario on it. Uh, and that was, it's called the Shining Force 3 premium disc. And it it's crazy. So this game, when it was Wait, it had first exclusive really, battles? That is... Yeah, there was like, yeah, it was you battle scenarios, not like parts of the game. It was like outside of the game. Um, so (laughs) the messed up thing that happened. Okay, uh, and Tyler, I think you looked at the exact numbers. But when this game was like hot back in the early two thousands, and like eBay was, you know, starting to gain, and people were starting to buy video games, it was super expensive to buy this premium disc, like late 90s like 98 99 uh into the early 2000s this was considered a super rare gem and i think you said you saw them at 800 dollars back in the day tower was that what you read uh, so yeah i read uh it, literally an article from like around the time ebay became a thing it said like uh this used to be 800 dollars and then ebay became a thing and people like saw how many were available and it went down to like 100 yeah. So, and it during this downswing, right? And this downswing took a while, uh, around 2004, 2005, because I love me some Shining Force. Um, Shining Force 3 is actually weirdly a game that, you know, I consider myself back in collecting in 2004, but Shining Force 3 Scenario 1 for the US, I got in 1999 from an EB in Texas because I was stationed there in the Air Force. So I was like, oh, I, I walked into an EB and I bought a Saturn in that game specifically. I didn't even know it existed. And then I'm like, oh man, this is one of my favorite games, so I'm going to get this. So when I started collecting again in 2004, I found out there was this rare premium disc. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go get it. I think I spent like $150. And I, I felt like, especially in 2004 dollars, I felt like pretty, pretty iffy about that. But I love Shining Force so much, I was going to do it. And uh, yeah. Now you can get it for like forty bucks, forty dollars to one hundred dollars. Now that's. I mean, I think it's because no one is looking for it, but like there is no. one on eBay for fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah it makes me sad. But um, yeah, that you know, Shining Force Three is awesome. Um, especially if you think about it, it's never been re-released. There's nowhere else to play Shining Force Three except for the Saturn, either Japan or uh the first scenario just in the u.s there there are a bunch of there was a site called uh shining central which released fan translations which you can still find so you can 
go buy the Japanese versions of the game. Uh, the U.S. one is like $400. Uh, Tyler, how much are the Japanese copies for all three scenarios? Uh, well, this is a pretty important and and relevant game, Johnny. Uh, that's yeah. actually kind of not, but <laughs> yeah, they're like uh, 20 bucks each kind of tops, maybe $25 yeah. if you get it totally complete with the spine card, with the registration card. They've got additional inserts beyond the manual, uh, but yeah, they, they basically don't cost anything. Um, so, you can get all three of them sealed for like 400 bucks if you really want to, but I don't, so, uh, for less don't than know how good of an investment that will be. Yeah, for less than $100, you can get all three of them, and then Easy. you can apply the, the fan patch or whatever and then or you can just buy a fan translation off etsy um where you can go play all three of the scenarios uh, uh don't do that don't don't buy illegal works of people doing translation work because they shouldn't well, have their name attached to an illegally sold product johnny i i agree but for the only for scenario two and three it's the only way to play them if well, you, you don't patch it yourself and burn well, it to yes. a disc you you should do that. I mean, also buy the the legitimate copies. And I'm a weirdo, so I did do that. I I bought I have the Japanese one through three scenario and the premium disc, and then I bought a, a burned copy because I didn't want to deal with that. <laughs> okay. Um. So. Um, uh, also, it's like a burned copy that will play on a U.S. Saturn, so I don't have to even mess around with any of that stuff. So that I I man I love Shining Force so much. Uh, I'm sad that people didn't get to play it. Like I said, this is, there's nowhere else to play it. It's not like it's going to be re-released. Like this is one of those games I expected that Sega or someone would have come back to, but they went down the shining tears route with it uh, and shining soul route and have never really come back to this. So, um, yeah, there, it's just a series that is falling into, you know, the well of not touched and not reproduced and, the way games are trending now, there will never be a game that's not re like a good game. That's not re-released on the next system, yep. uh, you know? Uh, so this is not going to happen to it. So it, I it puts it into this, like, you know, a little bit rare, a little bit harder. And the U S like copy, like is like 400 bucks. So careful on that one. Anyways, uh, it's a really cool game and it has some interesting backstories. Uh, why won't this be re I swear there, maybe it was like while the translation was in progress, there were like people like, what the f*** did I go release Shining Force 3 in America? And I don't know, probably that's just died down because people have given up complaining on this and they're just like, all right, we're going to pirate your game and translate it ourselves. But Yeah, uh, well, I mean, once the translations came out too, then it was just like, okay, who cares? Like, yeah. whatever, we can do When did it the now. translation come out? I want to say the translation was like being worked on in the... 2007 time frame okay so it was a while maybe 2009 2000 i think 2009 is like what i want to say or 2010 is when the patch came out for all of it also just as a side note scenario two in japan is a little bit rare like it's hard to find but th that doesn't mean more expensive uh yeah so like all of them were like 20 bucks so i was uh i went to look for all three of them and like very obviously scenario two was rarer than the first and the third one and I don't know why that is. It could be because these these were essentially three games released in the span of a year. So it was one, six months, two, six months, and then three. So uh, maybe people were just like not ready yet for Scenario 2. And then by the time a year passed, they're like, yeah, I could do some more Shining Force. But then why wouldn't you continue the story with Scenario 2? I don't get it, Johnny. It doesn't uh, yeah, make sense that the second in a series of three things would be the rarest. It uh, does not compute. 
Well, imagine um, how, like in comics, oh, we love to make comic comparisons. A lot of times, the second issue has less of a print than the first one, and then the third why one would they the like third overprint. One... Oh, really? Yeah. Well, maybe it, maybe the first one didn't sell as well, so they cut the print down on the second one. And then, like sales picked up on that one, so then they print more for the third one. So maybe they just have uneven print numbers. Well, all right then. That's what I'm guessing. Also, that was originally one of the driving factors on the price of the premium disc is because people couldn't find the second one, so they weren't able to mail away for the for the premium. But then apparently uh, that became not a problem. So uh, I saw, I, I know we're kind of harping on the rarity of this game, that is Japanese $20 game, kind of who cares. Um, the way you would send in the, your proof of purchase is you send in the spine card. So... Uh, not only were a lot of spine, like there's a, uh, there's always spine cards missing from games. Like a lot of people don't even care about the spine cards. And uh, if you don't know Japanese games, so the, there's a jewel case, which just looks like a regular jewel case. And then there's also this little piece of cardboard that wraps around the end of the jewel case. And it extends like one inch on both the front and back. So that would usually be sealed in with the game. I have no idea what Johnny, what is the purpose of them? It's literally just a thing to lose that makes your game incomplete. It's they are just a pain. I don't know what it's, pain they're the huge pain. They're pain in the ass. But you send those in, and so not only is too harder to find, it's definitely harder to find with the uh the spine card because that's the one people didn't have, so they got sent in, I guess, to get the disc. Sure. Or we're making that up because I'm doing everything I can, everything I'm doing, I'm assuming, based on what I see available on the market. All right. All right, Johnny, Suikoden 2, um, that's, what are you talking about? Next game is Suikoden 2 for the PlayStation 2, I mean, for the PlayStation 1 even. Yeah, PlayStation 1, woo! The game! It's, uh, so here's what's interesting about uh, this game. One, it's it's from Konami. Uh, the first game was pretty well received. The second, it has like three more parts on the PS2, but... Sugaden 2, like when you first started collecting PS1 stuff back in the day, 2004, 2005, 2007, like that time frame, the early days, this game was expensive. It was like a $250 game. It, it's a good game. I'm not blowing your mind with telling you that, like, it's recognized as one of the most collectible PS1 games uh, or PS1 RPGs. But what it did, it, it was maintaining a super high price, $200, $300 range early when games were not that expensive. And you were just like, wow, this is, it's crazy. But people loved it, right? Because the battle system was pretty robust. You get a ton of characters you can go find. Uh, what else uh, was like the deal with it? It's like a little bit, it's drawn a little bit more adult, but still definitely in, um, you know, JRPG style, but not like, not like big eye, uh, small mouth style. You, you get this game and it's like pretty rare and that price is up. And then all of a sudden the bottom falls out. Don't know what happened, but it went from a $300 game just to a hundred dollar game. And that line stays flat forever. It, you know, 2010, it's just a hundred bucks. Uh, by like 2013, it jumps up. It's like 130. Stays 130 until about 2018, 19. Like, and it has dips down like into the 120s and up to like the 140s. But like an average price about 130. Then all of a sudden, March uh, 2019, not not March 2020, it takes a little bit of a bump. It gets up to like the 160 range, and then all of a sudden, 
it, you know, we hit the COVID times and it, it gets that bump. Oh, suddenly it's a $300 game again, $275. But it took 10, over 10 years, right? We're talking a span of over a decade for this PlayStation game that was like $300 to get back to that point. And then we hit whatever the hell is happening in like February with PlayStation stuff. And now it's like a $500 game. So uh, between four and $500 for Sukaden. Um, another thing is PS2 got hot. And as people start to like eat up RPGs there and then look backwards, like, oh man, all these Sukaden titles, there's three, four, five and like tactics. Oh, where are the other ones? Oh, PS1. Now I got to complete the set. So that starts to drive price too. Uh, very popular RPG series. Um, Konami has been a show for, uh, it feels like 20 years now, but I I'm imagining one day someone will write the ship at Konami and they'll be like, Oh, we should do things like Castlevania and Sukaden again. There's no way. Cause those <laughs> pay us money. Konami is a lost cause. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what happened in Konami, but like maybe they just like dance games were enough and they just gave up. I, I don't know what, what happened, but I imagine these are franchises. It's like a big enough RPG franchise that it could be retouched. And if anyone like they'll, it'll probably get remade on like the PS seven or something because Konami will remember that it likes money. And um, then all these original games will get a lot more expensive. So maybe keep an eye out for that. So I remember like Suikoden 2, when I started collecting around 2005, this was like, like one of the games that like, yeah. I don't know, like, so to the point where it was like over hype, not overhyped, but just like, it's like one of these like little Samson games was like, oh my God, are you really going to talk about little Samson again? And then I remember the bottom falling out. So I remember like, I would see it in stores. I would see it at shows. And I'm just like, oh, there's Wicked and Two again. People talk about it like it's the rarest thing ever. And now it's like, again, it's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars again. Yep. It's just so, so funny I, how I, the I, opinion can change on a game. Yeah. I mean, it, I think this is just because all games moved up, but like, it's also a good game. It's a really good RPG if you haven't played it. You don't I need to play the other ones. Sure haven't. Um, I would start with the first because I can't skip games even when they're unrelated. Although I did do that for Final Fantasy VII because I wasn't going to play, you know, a bunch of Japanese games before Final Fantasy VII. Well, you should because they're all better than that. Oh! Except for two. Oh, well, shots fired. No, seven's fine. But, like, really, uh, you know, Final Fantasy one is fine. Three is uh, fine. But Final Fantasy four, five, and six? Whew! Oof. That's the good stuff. I don't even... I don't have Suikoden 2 because... At the time when it went down in value, like all I was thinking was like, told you this game was only a hype machine. <laughs> I'm so smart. I never even looked at it. And the time I did look at it, like it looks like super cool. <laughs> it has like really nice graphics. Oh, the it's like the, the art, like it holds up too. It's not like you're, you're going to enjoy looking at this more than you will playing Final Fantasy VII on the PS1. That's all um, I'm saying. Guys, 2D games look better than 3D games. Like, across the board, doesn't matter what they are. Doesn't matter if it's the PlayStation, doesn't matter if it's the PS5. Because you know what? In 20 years, everyone's going to look at PS5 games and be like, that looks like f***ing garbage! But you can look at Suikoden 2 and you're like, wow, this game looks awesome. <laughs> Simple, nice, easy-to-understand graphics are nice, Johnny. Yeah, I right. look, it... I'm telling you, go go grab go grab this game if yeah. it, if you want to spend five hundred dollars hundred dollars on Sweden. Yeah, too. go back to 2017. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you the exact month that it was best to buy it in 2017. No, I remember, like literally October. last year, my friend offered me one for like two fifty. 
are so many copies. Like, this is why I didn't buy one. I'm like, there's no way this game can be worth $200 if there's 50 of them on eBay. And there are like 50 of them. Yeah. And oh, that's, man. I mean, it, it shouldn't be this price, but here we are. Anyways, uh, yeah. Uh, it was October of 2016 is the best time to go in or September. You get 120 bucks. Do that one. All right. Still seems expensive, but, uh, Ooh, this one's got a, a reproduction jewel case. They're not saying it in the, Uh-oh. in the description. Oh, Johnny, we're going to talk about a pretty obscure one for our last game. Oh, uh, did you, did you bring not, the heat? Like, is not, it like, we say that as a joke, but like none of these games are really obscure that we talked no, about. No, I mean, we didn't say these were all obscure. I know. Uh, so let me just, did, is this one of your dumbass like Atari or PC weirdo RPGs that no one's ever heard of? We're going to talk about a Japanese FM7 game, um, also ported to the PC88 and PC98 though. Oh. Um, oh, wait, no, that one didn't make the cut. We're going to talk about Earthbound, uh, a Earthbound. rare Why? hidden gem for the Super Nintendo. Why are we talking about this hidden gem that no one is? We've never talked about cut. this on the show, Johnny. No, never, ever. Why are we talking about Earthbound? How could it possibly be relevant? Well, I don't like reporting on single sales, Johnny, because there's a lot of market manipulation. But there was one sale very recently of like a decent earthbound it was like nice but not like the nicest it was and like it was like forty seven hundred dollars forty seven hundred i'm ah! sorry <laughs> remember when earthbound tanked <laughs> remember that remember when uh i can give maybe, you the data I, like on i that. i've never been super interested in earthbound so i have not kept my tab uh, tabs okay up, but no so here here's what happened uh, Earthbound, uh, everyone was like, oh, this rare, uh, like, if you go to the rarest, I'm sure Earthbound is on there. I think we even looked at and confirmed at one point it was on, on that guy's channel. Uh, just, just remember that in 2013, this was announced for the Wii U and pri- like, they're like, finally, like the fan clamoring for earth pound was realized. And then Nintendo puts it on. It's like weakest selling system ever. Uh, and as a digital store only, uh, instead of giving it a proper physical release, could you imagine what that, this game would be like if it got a physical release? What, what, what do you mean by that? Like the, like the reproduction, how crazy the reproduction would be. No, like how, how, how the value would have tanked. If they had done a physical of this game and not just a digital. You mean like release. some kind of Super Nintendo classic? Like, yeah, the Wii U. Like, <laughs> when the Wii U came out, they're just like, Earthbound on the Wii U. Like, we I, like a, probably a combo pack with Mother and, and It would have been interesting, but I just don't... I don't think people accept substitutes, but I don't know. I... Like Earthbound, you say like, that. like 90% of the appeal of this is that it's it's the collectible game for collectors I put on my shelf in my YouTube video. Yes, but remember, I want you to know, it took, <laughs> what it did is it took CIB prices of Earthbound that were like sitting around $500 and $600 at the time in 2013 and dropped them uh, down into the low 400s. Just the, just the Wii U release did that to Earthbound, and I remember people were like gloating about it. Like, oh, they <laughs> were so, stupid yeah. people, you dummies! 
I told you. And then like within a year, it was like back to where it was like not quite as high, but like high, high four hundreds, low fives. And then it just kind of kept moving. And it is, this isn't just like the COVID bump or the after COVID bump. This is just like started to climb and is because it's earthbound. It's the game of legend. It, <laughs> it is. I don't know what to say about it. It's like ordained by some holy being and dropped down upon uh, us lowly Americans. And it's just been going up 600, 700. And this is like July of 2009. It hits $800. This is 2000, not 2009, 2019. So this isn't even COVID stuff. And it, you're going from 500 to 800. And then COVID happens and it just steadily climbs and it keeps going. And now we have, now we have a $4,000 sale and then a lot of other sales for not as nice ones that are like $2,000, $2,500 still that are like between 17 and $2,500. So that's a lot of money for earthbound guys. Um, so to be clear, the $4,000 one, it has a really nice first picture. Yes. Sir. And then it's one of these pictures. It's just got like just the right reflection and everything. It makes it look like someone who would have kept everything hundred percent mint. And then you look at it and it's like, it's all right. <laughs> The yeah. the strategy guide in particular, I would say, is somewhat rough, which yeah, is not, not what good. I should be seeing on a $4,400 Earthbound. No, not at all. And of course, like, so I, I didn't know if it was like one of these things where like there's a drought on Earthbounds. No! <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's at least seven complete in box copies on eBay right now. Okay, well, hold on. There's probably only like three or four bidders. This is probably like one of those dumb, like three or four bidder auctions where someone can like sneakily just increase the price. Right. Well, so I, you, you say that there's like 38 bids. I don't like counting the number of bids. Cause a lot of times it's just stupid people, but, um, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, six people bid over $2,500. <laughs> So you're not counting total bidders. That's just people who bid over twenty five hundred. Those are yeah. Those are unique people who bid over twenty five hundred dollars. Jesus Christ. Um, there's I think a nicer one. Is this one nicer? It's miss. It's like missing a little like a uh, dumbass insert. Whatever it is, like one of the, like the health and safety insert. It's ending in a day. It's currently at twenty one hundred dollars. I'll be very curious to what this one ends for. Oh man. Uh, like it's yeah, maybe you guys nicer. Will have to. But like by I, the time this episode releases go check the history on it uh this is 5 16 so it it ends no, on what, like, 5 17 the there's a buy it now for 2500 of one that's way nicer nah way nicer it's definitely nicer than the the 44000 one well also people the the desire to win mentality is really strong on eBay right now I don't yeah. know what happens. Like you'll you'll see, like there's like a fine listing. You're like, oh yeah, that's like a fine listing. I I could go buy that, but then you'll see the open auction one, and you're like, oh well, usually open auctions close close lower than the buy it now. <laughs> yep. And then all of a sudden, people go insane and bidding is stupid, and you're just like, oh, I guess I should just go buy that cheaper buy it now, right now, uh, like right this second because. Why did this close for three hundred dollars more than the buy the open buy it now? Right, I I don't get it. Um, here's a funny thing. Uh, 
There is a thousand dollar earthbound, and it looks like fine. It's got the cardboard insert, got the thing. It's missing one scratch and sniff card, so it will never sell. <laughs> oh, uh, Earthbound, you're a funny game. Uh, I like you very much. Yeah. I want what made you the game? I know it's like this quirky thing. So like quirky things are the things that become sort of the the culty things. But uh, if it didn't have the big box, do you think it would be as phenomenal as it is? Nope. <laughs> it's the Not big even. box. It's a cool fucking box. Yeah, uh, whoever it, marketed it, it this has... did it right because you know well, what? Everyone's still talking though. about your game. But at yeah, the same time, didn't. you're right. At the same time, they didn't because it was on clearance racks everywhere, and that like pushes a lot of people off. Like you'll hear the old vanguard of collectors being like, "I wasn't gonna buy that. I saw it on clearance racks at Best Buy for fourteen dollars." Uh, like, yeah, the, uh, well, the old old price God. memory is real, and there are a yeah. lot of sealed uh, Earthbounds out there. And unfortunately, a lot of them were graded by VGA, meaning that they're no longer technically unopened. But yeah, there are uh, a bunch of these. Not for sale right now. Maybe they're on their way. Someone's probably waiting for water to grade them. I don't know. Can you imagine not knowing how Earthbound wasn't cellophane sealed and just opening it and being like, yeah, this looks fine. Well, they know, no, they know it's not sealed, so they have to open it up to confirm it's unused. VGA qualified is just such a dumbass thing. Um, also I mean like the newliness of an item based on the condition of a cardboard flap is pretty weird don't like it Johnny what are earthbound (laughs) cards earthbound cards are like $400 now yeah Um, that's like maybe $350 guys (sighs) yeah I mean that's their minimum of uh, $350 (laughs) The prices, the prices, Johnny, they're, it's like it's 2021 and I, I know I'm used to it, but at the same time, uh. let me, let me just say one thing to you and I know you'll feel better after this. Hmm? Rejoice in the value. Oh, I could rejoice in the value. That, yeah, thank rejoice. you, I will just yeah, rejoice, rejoice in the, the value. Because well, yeah, I already like, own Earthbound. The fact yeah, that I so, don't own Suikoden 2 or uh, Lucian's Quest. Yeah. Also kind of funny. <laughs> Earthbound seems to be worth at least twice what Lucian's Quest is, which is just a little bit of a weird thing to say. Hilarious. Because I'm just so used to thinking of things in terms of rarity, which is not the way of the world anymore. No, you're like, oh man, that Lucian's Quest is so expensive. How about Earthbound? Eh, I guess that's all right. It's um, the, like the uh, maybe a weirder thing. Like, imagine if you're Japanese looking on at the American market and you see Mother Two. And it's like $4,000. Let's say, let, get rid of that outlier. Be like Mother 2 is selling for $2,000. It's clearly selling for $2,000. Like, what do you even think? Because your copy of Mother 2 is like 30 bucks, And like Mother 1 is a collectible Famicom game. Mother 1's like $100 in real nice shape. And like that, that doesn't even come in the realm of what Americans think of Earthbound. It's weird. Yeah, also, I, get your copy of uh, Mother 3 on GBA, because you know what? One day Nintendo's going to localize that, and then people are going to want the original. Or, no, they're not. They're just yeah, going to buy the You know, you could, get, you could get the edition I have, which is the worst <laughs> the edition Nintendo ever. Nintendo Campout Edition. <laughs> yeah. Highly collectible. Honestly, probably highly collectible, Johnny. There's like five people on Earth who probably want that more than anything. Oh, man. They are. They can come for it. Just uh, please. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, 
Uh, I think, like, we're calling it Lucian's Quest. Is it Lucine? Is it Lucine's Quest? Johnny, no one cares. They just, <laughs> just want to take Lucene. a picture of the game. I don't if, know. If it's a three yo game. I bet it has voice acting, and we could just figure that yeah. out. Yeah, we probably could have done a little better there. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's Lucine because uh, Lucine, Lucine. I'm gonna keep saying Lucien. That's a bad name. Maybe it is Lucine, Lucine because the sorceress is uh, a girl in the game. Yeah. So would Lucine? Lucian. Man, we are so bad at this. Mm. Lucian. Oh, yeah. So Lucian is L-U-C-I-E-N. So it's not Lucian. Like, there could literally be someone listening to this this show who has the name Lucian. Because it's like, it's just a name, Johnny. We could just look up the pronunciation of the name. That's true. L-O-C-N is howtopronounce.com, but it has a rating of three. So I don't know if that's uh Johnny, let's uh let's move on to another part of the show. Okay. <laughs> this was sure? supposed to be a short episode. It is short. Yeah, it's pretty short. Been, uh do we want to do some uh question. some collector's questions? Uh, yeah, let's do some collector's questions. All right, let me uh let me get to the Discord. Uh your podcast seems to have the momentum of a runaway freight train. Why are you so popular? asks Daddy Milk. Uh, we're not. Uh, all right. I'm like, yeah, I don't. Are people talking about us? I don't think they are. So Tiger Wolf asks: Is price tracking net positive or negative for collectors? Does it make us too obsessed with financial value instead of whether the game is worth collecting or not? Ooh, good question. Like almost too good of a question. Like probably could be an episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's like we might have to come back to it, but. It really depends on what you're looking for, right? You can what what do you value as good? So there there's a lot of value judgments in that statement. I'm not saying that that is shouldn't be, exist, but oh, this is worth collecting. What makes something worth collecting? Is it rarity? Is it the distinction of the game amongst other games like it, it's meaning it's very good compared to all the other games? It's just a solid game. What what makes something worth collecting? Uh, I, I find it hard to. Hard I mean, to quantify no, that. I kind of I get the whether it's worth collecting because like we've just brought up Lucian's Quest, which yeah. is basically quote unquote worth collecting because it's expensive. Uh, sure, I mean it's worth I mean, collecting because no, it's rare, but they kind of go hand in hand in this case. Uh, well, I mean, we make those delineations, right? Like, our we make th- those ties. So I, I think price tracking is good in that regard because the look at look how crazy the market is. There, there's nothing more annoying than going and looking and seeing overpriced games. Um, because if we didn't price track, let's just put this example out. Remember when that dumb thing happened on Pawn Stars and not anything with Wada, but uh, not Pawn Stars. I'm sorry, Storage Wars. Where the Nintendo 101, when they like said it was the first one and how that destroyed the prices. Could you imagine without price tracking and being able to point to games to like get that out of the way? Like what we'd be dealing with right now? Like just every Mario game would be 500. Even without price tracking, you could have eBay sold listings though. 
it would yeah. just take for us for people who are actual collectors like in the know looking for something specific we could look up i don't know a nintendo console and see okay it's 45 dollars but do we need to track the trends of that over time i feel like the the price tracking charts it kind of encourages you to look for trends and find deals and things like that which yes is it makes it kind of easier to prioritize certain things but at the same time i remember when i just started collecting and it could this could just be because you know i'm I'm just starting collecting i don't know what the f- is going on i would get certain prices in my mind and i would carry those prices for like years and I was flipping games at the same time. It wasn't like I was just like, oh, I see Mario 3 all the time. That's a $6 game. Like, if I saw a Contra at Goodwill, I'd be like, Contra, $20 all day. I I will eventually get $20 for a Contra. And in the world of price tracking sites, that doesn't exist anymore. You would never be able to say Suikoden 2 is a $250 game because it's not. It could be $250 today, $300 tomorrow, $275 the next day. It's like... It changes so rapidly. So I don't know. I think uh, if you wanted to keep games cheap, (laughs) then price tracking is definitely negative. If you are looking to surf the trends, then it's obviously a positive. Because what what kicked off like comic speculation and the nightmare of, of all that, like the Overstreet price guide is the point where people are like, oh, my God, comics have value. Let's start saving comics. That's why comics from the 1970s onwards are nowhere near as rare as comics before the Overstreet Price Guide was released. I think that's like a really excellent point. Because we do, like, there is some aspect of preservation, even if it's not on all these games that had millions of copies. But because people know that games are valuable, they start to save game stuff, which things like protos and stuff and other like weird finds start to be saved because people understand that games have value and they can look at a source and see games have value. The other thing it does, and it, this makes me uh, like past two episodes, I'm like referencing magic card trading, but like back in the day, you'd be trading magic cards and you'd always hear about that one kid or you who got ripped off be like someone traded you uh, a Shivan dragon. Like you got that Shivan dragon, but you gave up like a Lotus or a dual land for that. And if there've just been prices, you know, some way to track the prices and an easy way to get them, then, you know, maybe you as a kid wouldn't have been suckered into a bad trade. Really the advent of price tracking and smartphones for, for game collecting is really what's done it. I mean, so you're right. It's like, I want to pretend there's a simpler time where like, oh, well, maybe that kid just thought Shivan Dragon was cooler than Black Lotus. So to him, it was a good trade. But I mean, there's no time we could like, does Disney pin trading try to do that? They like just make so many pins where that like they try to. I I don't know what I'm trying to say. I I know more about uh, Penny Arcade trading, um, Penny Arcade even, where I remember early on, like, pins used to have, like, uh, there were a bunch of pins that had, like, significantly different values because, like, some were rarer. And what they said is, like, they're trying to just, like, print so many pins where it doesn't even matter that you'll just trade for pins that you think are cooler. They don't want it to become this financial thing. But I don't know. Yeah, well, in Disneyland, there's a lot of, like, super premium collector's pins. And they're, like, pin trading is pretty fun if you're just doing basic pin trading, which I think is still very accessible. You can go to eBay and buy, like, 100 pins for, like, $100. And then you can oh, walk really? up to cast... 
You can walk up to cast members and then just trade pins all day. You can just trade the junk ones for for ones you like better. But they're not like the high quality collectors trade like pins that they want to sell you for twenty five dollars. But maybe they put a couple on, on on the trading shelf every day, Johnny. So you have to go look. Maybe. But it's like really the cast just layers wears lanyards with uh like a you know a bunch of pins on it or they've got like a pin board with them and you know you just walk up and say hey, can I trade with you? I imagine pin trading is uh during COVID times got like pretty lame. Also Disneyland was like shut down, but um yeah, I'm I'm sure they like didn't want people approaching like right up to your face to look look at your pins. Uh, uh, and during their soft reopenings at Disney World and Disneyland, but anyways, um, Johnny, you might uh, we it. might be getting into some after dark stuff. But how much are Disney pins in a bulk lot? Oh my god, less than a dollar? Are these like bootleg? Some of them could be, but some of them are just like there's just a class of pin that are just like generic bullshit pins that you can go get. I don't know how these are all acquired, but like my wife and I wanted to do some pin trading, and we just we just huh. bought that. I'm like. I'm not, not going to go buy a starter pin set at Disneyland for $50 when I know oh. I can get, like, all the pins in the world. And we can go do this to your heart's content, just trading back and forth. And then you'll have some, like, really, we were looking for the experience, not the Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be pin. doing that. So, I like, like, I literally might be going to Disney World next year. Um, just because my friends are like, dude, we what is going on? Like, COVID, let's go do something. But, like, you can buy this bulk lot, 300 pins for $140, guaranteed, not bootleg tradable. Excellent. Uh, like so again, coming from the penny arcade world, uh, where you either literally have to go to packs to get pins or you buy them, you know, like individually on the website. Like I'm used to minimum prices for pins being like ten dollars each at like minimum. So Yeah, well, like at Disneyland, they're gonna be the pins that like when you buy your lanyard and whatever to to trade pins, it's gonna cost you twenty five bucks and or Oh, do I have bucks. to have a lanyard to do trading? You don't have to. You can walk up with your pins and They'll have a lanyard on, but usually people have some way to display their pins. They might be on a jacket or yeah. on the back of a backpack. You know, there, there's some device to have your pins around. It also cues to other collectors and traders that you have stuff because some people go the way like we go to video game collections. They just go to these things with their their giant like folder full of pins and they're just doing that all day. That's what I mean, they're there for. Oh, this seems it looks so fun. So the thing the the good thing is like I know we're going on such a tangent here, Johnny, but like there's yeah. so many goddamn pins that it looks like it would be fun to just trade them all day and discover new things. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can because every cast member has something different, especially if you're there at like Disney World for like a week and they've got like multiple parks. Sometimes different parks will have different pins. You can just go at it. That, that's what my wife and I did. We uh, had a lot of fun with it. Johnny, I'm gonna buy 300 pins before I go to Disney World. Because you know what? $140 in Disney World money, that that's like dinner, right? Nothing. So yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a lot like, of value at Disney for my World, money. Who cares? And I'm going to come home with 300 different goddamn pins. Yeah. Or right. you'll see maybe a child who only has a few pins and you can be like, Dude, here's a handful of oh my here's God. A handful of pins. Knock like, yourself out, kid. I could never do that at pack. The pins are like, f-ing, they're expensive, but I could take literally like a 10 pins and give them to someone and be like, here, this is $5 worth of pins, f-ing whatever. Made this yeah. kid's day. I'm the best. And then people think yeah. I'm a creeper, but maybe I'll just make Ada do it. Yeah. Well, if you just see like a nice family, if you're stuck in line and you see like a kid with some pins, you're like, here you go. Here's some pins for you. you uh, just be a nice guy. 
And you know what? Is there a, is there price to bring it back? Is there price tracking for Disney pins, Johnny? The answer is probably because I know they're very popular. Oh man, I uh, I don't know. That, and that someone won't... out there thinks that it ruined the hobby. <laughs> yeah, you know what I did with Disney pins? Uh, avoided like looking at all of that because. That's a dark rabbit hole, and I could not turn my collector brain at yeah, that. Yeah, you were just going to make a spreadsheet be... at some point and be like, "All right, we yeah. gotta, we gotta go get this, uh, this Ursula. This Ursula is really cool. Gotta go yeah, find it." Uh, they're uh, having annual pass holder exclusive pins uh, on these days, so we're going to have to drive down there and get the. No, I'm not doing that, and that is 100 percent a thing they do. I know people have been sucked down this rabbit hole. Oh, I'm not God. going there. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, what's our second question? That was our second question, wasn't no, it? No, that was no, that was the first one. We just spent a long time on it. Uh, oh, okay. In that case, no, skip, skip. <laughs> Too long, or you just don't like them? No, just uh, uh, Jeff the Game Boy Ferris is asking if he should open his sealed Game Boy game that has a little bit of damage. Uh, we're in 2021, just don't open sealed games anymore. <laughs> right i mean whatever yeah. true uh berserker asks is there any point in trying to collect legit boxes and manuals anymore fakes are so rampant and more accurate than ever even if the initial seller marks them as repro or custom subsequent sales probably won't uh if they haven't already they'll probably start purposely crushing or tearing them to be more legit um, I'm sure everyone would rather have a legit over a repro, but is it worth the price and effort if there's no discernible difference? Um, I think we kind of talked about, was the last episode we talked about this or was it this one? I think it was the last episode. I right? think you're talking about the last episode. We said something, but, uh, it's, it's a somewhat different question. Okay. You want to get into it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for me it's nothing it's not about having something that looks like i have the thing on the shelf so i will always want the legit thing uh no matter how close they get uh the example i always bring up is baseball cards like a 1930s baseball card is like a piece of cardboard with piece of printing there are fake honus wagner cards but psa won't grade them because they can still tell that that's a fake piece of cardboard Video games combine so many mediums of not just paper, um, you know, paper staples, PCBs, plastics, labels, uh, all that stuff. It would be very hard to make a convincing to like a very uh, to under great scrutiny, a convincing fake. Um, so as long as you can actually tell the difference, it's not like they make f-ing identical games, which I don't think is ever happening. Uh, yeah, I'm always going to want the legit thing. I think repros are a waste. Is is it worth it? Is it worth it? Not just for you personally, but overall, do you think it's worth it? Uh, I mean, obviously not, because I have a bunch. (laughs) I have a bunch of loose Nintendo sets, but um, it's game by game basis. Like, if (sighs) it's hard for me to say this, if Ocarina of Time was like two thousand dollars complete in box, like maybe it starts being not worth it. That's like the one game I would still want, regardless of price. Let me pick a better example. What's a game that I'm not like the hottest ever on, Johnny? Mario Super Kart Mario Brothers 64. Two. If Super Mario Brothers Two was like a five hundred dollar game, like I probably wouldn't buy Super Mario Brothers Two. Uh, because I just I don't care about it. The only thing it's doing is it's completing a set for me. Not even the NES set, just the the Mario Quadrilogy uh on nes 
So quadrology, quadrology, quadrilogy. And I'm just saying that to trigger someone because people forget about Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan. It doesn't count. It wasn't on NES. Um, um, but it was, though. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think we're ever... I know that he's talking about there are better fakes. There's, like, they're making, like, the fake SNES boxes with the, uh, like, the brown paper on the inside. There are, like, classic things you used to be able to do to tell fakes that you can no longer do to tell fakes. Uh, but m- even if you can't tell it from a listing picture uh once you have it in your hand i have yet to see something that would ever pass for real to a, a trained eye kind of yeah so i think yes it is all it will get harder but it's always going to be worth it to have that like the premium is always going to be on the complete in box or sealed item like we've seen the price gulf between sealed and complete in box widen but we've also seen the gulf between cart only and CIB widen extensively. So yes, it's it's worth it. It's worth the effort. And it's just about really training yourself to be able to spot those differently and buying from reputable sources or just buying on eBay, um, you know, or, or local game stores. If you buy on eBay and you're using like a credit card or something, you're protecting yourself. You can you can return it even if the seller says no returns. eBay is going to return it for you. Your credit card, you can say this is a counterfeit item. They they're not interested in that. No one's you know. There's there's a way to fight these things. Uh, so I recommend that. Yes, it's a pain in the ass, but I think the value and the and the divide there is always going to be worth it. And I you know I'm someone who's largely collected CIB the whole time. Uh, I'm not afraid to assemble things. But, you know, the goal was always to be uh, complete in box the best I could. I, I think we'll get to the point, too, we're going back to magic cards, where you'll just have, like, a jeweler's loop, and you'll be able to tell, like, by the printing pattern on the box uh, under under light and uh, with the jeweler's loop, whether it's real or not. And I think we'll start to see, if box fakes get too good, we'll start to see people documenting what the actual printing patterns look like on on those boxes specifically and you'll start to have resources where people compare much like you know people check the chip uh you know or the pcbs you know on like uh what what's it snes central has it uh yeah so they do a good like, job I, I think but we'll they don't start- document absolutely everything so they don't but i'm just saying i think we'll start to see resources like that sure. develop if it uh, gets so much. So yeah, that's my answer. I'm um, sticking to it. Not looking forward to the jeweler loop times, and I've always said that. <laughs> uh, if you don't have, also, oh my well. god, there's gonna be so much bad info. Like if fakes get really good, there's gonna be so many people on Facebook like just judging things that are real or fake and just being wrong either way about it. Because uh, like a Majesco box doesn't feel the same as a regular freaking made in Japan Super Nintendo box. No. So like people are gonna not. be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Uh, anyway. Or they're going to see, like, the weird Frogger with, like, the built-in tray, and they'll be like, that's not how Super Nintendo games come. That's definitely a fake. And you're going to be like, no. No, you don't know enough. Yeah. In terms of uh, intentional damage, like, I see intentional damage on fake things all the time. There's a a fake five-screw Mike Tyson's Punch-Out on eBay right now that has a fake intentional damage on it. So, uh, yep, people are definitely going to do that. Uh, What you got to do, you just got to, like, look at those things and notice what people do to fake mess up games. Like they'll put gouges and like, wow, I don't see a gouge in a gable, a label like that ever. That's weird. 
or it looks like they took sandpaper to the the front of the label. It's like, well, that's not that's not how games get worn. They don't get like a bunch of tiny little fine lines all going in the same direction. That looks like someone took sandpaper to the label. That's that's not how yeah, worn like, games look. Where happens in a certain way usually with games, like like Super Nintendo games, really su- uh, susceptible to uh, like like frame crushing. So like if you're looking top down at the game, like because the way the tray sits, it just like around the frame of the tray, like that crushing, you'll see like that, like, you know, slight concave, uh, or concavity, even though, uh, the game had the inner tray in there, especially. And if it's got a fake tray in there or one of the trays without the bombs, you'll see like the type of crushing where at the bottom of the box, you'll see more of a depression. Uh, you know, you'll, you can see what kind of wear normally happens, like how the flaps normally bend. Like most people put their thumb in the middle. They just jam it in there, press down. So normally that's where like the creases will be. If you start to see like weird damage, you'll be like, wow, this doesn't make any sense. Label wear happens, you know, up and down, usually not side to side. So things like that to be aware of. Uh, yeah. Uh, so buy real stuff and if real stuff ever gets too expensive, just, uh, buy carts unless it's Sega Genesis, in which case figure out something else. Yeah. Um, like yeah, I, I don't, dude, I cannot imagine a world where like cartridge collecting becomes cost prohibitive unless you're like trying to complete like a dumb set. But man, there's a lot of video games out there, guys. Absolutely. All right. Okay. So, uh, let's, let's talk about you play anything. You buy anything. What would you do? Uh, oh, right. I'm supposed to make something up here, Johnny. Are you going to edit that or are you just going to leave that in there? for? Oh, this is all getting left in. I lied. I've been, I've been playing some chess against stockfish. I don't know. Is that interesting? No, I'm probably still playing Minecraft over the next week. Uh, and I'm playing Stardew Valley with Ada and, you know, doing some farming. It's a grind. Very exciting, Johnny. What'd you buy? You can look at your eBay list and just see the things that haven't arrived and imagine that they will arrive and then knock on wood and uh, pray to the gods that you haven't uh, upset them for, you know, your boastful ways. Uh, okay. So I already did that. So I literally, I have nothing on eBay that I bought that hasn't arrived because I just, my eBay purchase has been way down. So I'll just tell you some, uh, some stuff I bought on the old Yahoo. Oh, yeah? I got What'd a uh, copy of Getter Love for the N64. Which what uh, is that? Sounds great. It's it's a uh, dating sim party game. Oh, it, is I'm it a like, board? It is what it sounds like. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually it looks fun. I don't know. There must be a translated version of it. Uh, it is. It's really hard for me to tell. I like having correct rarities. It is often considered the rarest Japanese N64 game. Uh, if that is true, there are no rare N64 games in Japan because this game is not super rare. Um, but I did want to get it because uh, if I am ever going to work at Japanese N64 set, I'm going to do it top down uh, because I know now that collecting from the bottom up and getting like 150 games and then killing myself to get like the last 10% of the set is not how is not fun. Um, so I'm not eagerly in a set collecting mentality right now. It's more just like, eh. If I get one game, let me get the the quote unquote top one, and I think I'm probably gonna get a couple other ones like uh, Evangelion, and uh, just some of the other quote unquote Sin top Japanese N64 games. You gonna do some punishment, or you already have it? Uh, I already have it. 
And how much did uh, Gitter Love cost? And that's for people who aren't hearing it well. G-E-T-T-E-R Love. Uh, yep, with two exclamation points after it. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was two hundred thirty-four bucks. So uh, cheaper than eBay, <laughs> probably cheaper than a copy of Paper Freaking Mario in America for the rarest Japanese N sixty-four game. You know, it's actually not true. Um, maybe some of the big box stuff is rare. Uh, Mario No Photo P got bought out last year, uh, potentially by that guy who was just constantly hyping them. Um, <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. So I don't know, but uh. Uh, prices just not even comparable to American prices. No, there's like I'm seeing at least five complete box copies right now. How? Yeah, on eBay. Yeah, on eBay, American eBay. Uh, I don't even know. If I, I don't know I how, don't even how, how being in Japan works. Set. I think maybe they just don't collect sets of all their dumbass games that no one actually cares about. Honestly, like I know it's a party dating sim game, but I think it looks fun. I um, actually like the box art. It's like pretty. It's got some pretty interesting box art, and it's made by Hudson. I love Hudson games. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting box art of a girl in a skirt not looking at you. I mean, the art is interesting. Like the like, if you look, I have said this before. N sixty four box art is terrible. Like mostly just awful. It's like bad three D renderings of bad three D games yep. on their covers. Terrible, gross. Uh, like Ocarina looks good because they didn't do that. No, Zelda games, Johnny. Zelda games in America are such cop outs. <laughs> Just like oh, it's Zelda, buy it. I hate them. Uh, yeah, but I'm saying the box art still looks nice on it. Unlike if you looked at say Starcraft '64, which looks terrible. The box yep. art is gross. Uh, like what? What's the other one? Starcraft looks. Or not you literally Starcraft. just did the um, same game twice. Uh, yeah, I I meant to say uh, Starwing, which is uh, Star Fox, and uh, looks terrible. Like it's just so much bad box art, though. What's the other dumb game with the like the oh, Chameleon sixty four or whatever? Oh, Chameleon Twist. Yeah, that one looks yeah it's pretty Nintendo sixty four y. Yeah, like if you look at Nintendo sixty four boxes, they are. They're gross because they tried to make it look as 3D as possible for Americans want them graphics. And this game, Get Her Love, just has like a nice drawn photo or not photo, drawn picture on it. And uh, even though it is uh, suggestive and of a woman, it it is at least nice hand-drawn art. It's nice box art compared to the garbage that we have on the N64. I'll agree with you there. I was going to say that like maybe the chameleon twist art is better in Japan. It's actually worse. Um, How is that possible? <laughs> look it up, dude. So the one in uh, America, it's like one of these guys with the long tongue and he's in like a jungle kind of setting. And the one in Japan, it's like, it looks like they're on a Dreamcast logo and it just looks like four Puyo Puyos in that horrible 3D art style with hands and feet. It is just the worst. <sighs> Uh, yeah. Uh, that this is not good. If you want box art, go buy Super Famicom games. The system with the best best box art that uh, no one collects. I don't know why it literally has the best box art of any game system, and no one collects Super Famicom games. Yeah, I mean, people I in Japan, know. I'm sure, collect Super Famicom games, but I, I like I don't know. Maybe it's just because Maybe. I'm in this circle of people who have the same mindset as me on like Instagram and social media and I don't collect super Famicom games. So I don't see the people who do, but I don't see him. 
Uh, Chameleon Twist 2 box art, not terrible in Japan. Uh, also, the uh, the PAL one is really strange. Did you look at the PAL one? Uh, all right, let's go look at pictures on our audio entertainment show. Yeah, woo! They can follow along. They're just, just uh, put it in like your the PAL uh, smart one, device. It looks like the prototype for the American box art. It, yeah, it's real bad. Uh, all right. I'm done talking about that. Anyways, yes. uh, if you want to hate art, go look at the fronts of uh, N64 games. Yeah, if you just want to hate yourself, just go look at N64 games. That's a, a better way to put that. Yeah, that's true. All of that's still true. All right. Um, so that's what oh, you, you know what, Anything Johnny? Else? I'm gonna I'm gonna give us two more things that I bought on Yahoo Auctions Japan. I bought. Um... Oh no! Wait, I ruined my own joke. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I bought two sealed Pokemon games, Johnny. Someone in the Discord, was it me? Someone, we were talking about Hey You Pikachu on N64 for some reason. And I had just, I was just talking with someone. I'm like, you know what? I don't have Hey You Pikachu. Uh, I remember that game. It's a big box game for the N64. That's kind of cool. It has a, a like basically unique accessor, accessory. I don't think anything else on the N64 uses the microphone, does it? That would be no a idea. cool thing to own. And it was like $100 or something, maybe like 130 which, yes, is ridiculous, but in the world of N64 and Pokemon games right now, it seemed like an okay price. So I found like a really nice near mint complete one and bid on it. It went for like 400 something dollars. And that's when I said, oh, right, it's 2021. It doesn't matter that the last one sold for $100. Uh, I could just forget about everything forever. So uh, I did the old the old secret collecting trick of going to Japan and getting <laughs> way cheaper. And I got a new old stock, Hey You Pikachu, for $50. Uh, and also a new old stock, Pokemon Snap, for $29. Um, all much Ooh. better deals than what you would get in America. But no one cares about anywhere else. Those games are irrelevant. Uh, 100%. Ah, the Pokemon Snapbox are in... Oh, I think it's the same as the American one. It's like a camera lens with the Pokemon around it. I like it. Also, for some reason, the Japanese Pokemon Snapbox is a thin hang tab box. It almost looks like a Super Famicom box with a hang tab on it. It looks different from all the other games, and I don't know why. That's weird. Yeah. Also, in like 2019, when I was in FOMO mode, like just buying sealed games I thought that I might ever want, uh, Pokemon Snap was one of the ones on my short list because I do like Pokemon Snap a lot. In uh, that game, like super common sealed N64 game. I think it was like $300 at the time. And I'm like, eh, I could get around to that one day. Let's just uh, forget about that. And you know, I don't even know what it costs now because we're in the Pokemon bubble. We're going to go look at, I know, we're the, your source for sealed game news is uh, the Collector's Quest podcast. Absolutely. Uh, that, that's us 100%. Pokemon Snap sealed. Oh, it's, it's not the worst. The last one sold for $1,300 in a 6.5B. <laughs> that's awful. Uh, all right, Johnny, that, that's a bunch of stuff I bought. That's off my, my secret Japan list, not my, my eBay stuff I buy. So I hope that's more interesting to you. I mean, I'm, I'm for it. I like what I heard here. Yeah, so I haven't bought much, sadly. I, I got Dig Dug from the... Oh, Dig Dug from... Dig Dug for the Game Boy. I got that from uh, Jeff on the Discord. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, 
And there's just Jeff the Game Boy Fires. Yes. Use his full name. I'm I'm sorry. I'll I'll let you do all the nicknaming for everyone. <laughs> so I uh <laughs> yeah, I got that and that's pretty much it. You know, again, same situation game buying is low. Harry Potter book buying is high. Thanks, wife. Well, Harry Potter's fun too, as you might have heard on the it last is. collector's quest after dark. Yeah, if you if you like that, I could tell you so many so many more things I've learned about Harry Potter. Whew. Uh, do you know that uh, Hermione's name is pronounced Hermione and not Hermione as I pronounced it my entire childhood? Yeah, yeah. Until yeah. the movies uh, came out, I told you that they wrote as the scene in Goblet of Fire, uh, the part in Goblet of Fire where Hermione teaches Crumb to say her name was not for crumb it was for all the readers out there so they knew how to say the name fantastic yeah you want some more trivia no uh, yeah no? okay what? Good. What? harry potter no. this is now collector's test oh that was a bad one what's uh oh you know what I- i've got some other things to add that that are coming that you want to hear about some good stuff uh, yeah. You you talked about stuff from over the sea. Actually, I can do that too. Oh, let me let me hear about your stupid ass pal games. All right, here they are. Super Nintendo, Pop and Twin B Rainbow Bell. Whoa! Got it. Whoa. Wait, that's a, that's a game. pal game? There's a Pop and Twin B game that came out in Europe. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. There's two, actually. Is there even a Twin B game that came out in America? I don't. Think I mean, so. well, there have been like Stinger, but it's not called Twinbee. Yeah. So here, here's a funny one that I bought overseas. You, this is this is my favorite purchase. Okay, the Flintstones for GBA, Big Trouble in Bedrock. Okay, if you go to eBay, in fact, Tyler, let's do an exercise. Please go to eBay right now, looking only in yep. America, and type in Flintstones, Big Trouble, GBA. Uh. I'm pretty sure I saw this game for sale on one of those like lot of auction sites. But yeah, okay, I'm looking. Um, I'm looking. I'm telling Tell you what I prices. see. I see a bunch of eight dollar cartridges, uh, one sealed copy, box game. and then one hundred dollar copy complete box. Complete box. So a nice one hundred bucks. Uh, what about sold? Go go to sold listings. What are you seeing sold? All right, hold on. I'm 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 judging this complete box. Oh, you know, it's hundred percent complete. It's got all little inserts. And there's a lot of edge wear, but I would personally accept it in my collection, this $100 copy. All right, I'm going to go to sold listings, Johnny. Uh, all right. Uh, I see a bunch of $4 cartridges, and I see this uh, this $25 one with $4 shipping. And uh, I'm going to call it <laughs> destroyed condition, Johnny. <laughs> okay. I assume this is the one you bought. No, no, it is not. Oh, okay. Okay. I bought the one. Now go ahead, and uh, you probably have to go to eBay UK. Uh, sure. Go to eBay. Go to eBay UK, and this is going to be very instructive. Um, and then type in the same <laughs> game and look Wait, at complete. Bo- did you buy this from Germany? Uh, no, I bought this from the UK. Uh, okay, let's let's all right. Let's do a better job looking here. Okay. Wow, these prices are quite different. Not even looking at sold listings, Johnny. What? Go the ahead fuck? and find. How does this even US happen? Copies. Okay. Uh, 
I'm guessing you didn't get the free shipping, but here we are. Uh, uh, no, I did because I was shipping out from my freight forwarder. All right. So the Johnny bought one for 14 pounds, 95 pence. You uh, nailed it. That's complete. the one I bought. This is an ESRV copy of uh, Big Trouble Little Bedrock. Also, if I uh, go back out to the regular ass listings, uh, there's a brand new one for 30 pounds. Yeah. Would you say they're comparable to the $100 copy? They're better than the $100 copy. Yeah. There you go. All uh, right. And there's more of them. What is going on yes. here? Okay. Well, I've, I think I've expressed this theory before. So... I think in the last episode, or maybe it was After Dark where I talked about it, where there's no such thing as PAL Game Boy. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. It's it's fake. It's not a myth. That's the wrong term. It's f***ing fake, guys. The, the, we're talking about hertz for electricity and screens and like the rate in which they refresh. That is not true for a Game Boy. A Game Boy is a Game Boy. The screen and everything is built in. It's powered by the same type of batteries. So it's only PAL because they put PAL on it. It's just labeling, right? It All the games, are if they're not region-locked, work. And most, I think, are not region-locked. There's a few weird ones. But it doesn't matter. So my theory, having said all that, is... They looked at a lot of games that were coming back new old stock or like that didn't look like they were going to sell here very well, or maybe, you know, because they can sell them anywhere. They just said, okay, let's send them out to these retailers out in Europe instead of shipping them to America or maybe Nintendo. Like there was something what happens where they realized that we can just sell these in overseas and not just in America, North America, Canada, US, Mexico. Oh, that makes sense. Because the the quantity of games like this that just show up, it's not all games. And it's the same thing. Like sometimes you'll find games, especially for Game Boy, that are only in Canada. You're like, I don't understand. I cannot find a complete copy that doesn't come out of Canada. And it's the same thing here. You can look and you're like, there's like a few copies, but why are there so many in Europe? It must have been some sort of allocation to Europe. And maybe it wasn't as well received or something, but sometimes you can find this with American games. It's not all games. This is not like a super secret act. It has yeah. to be the right game. Um, and also, a lot of times, shipping becomes extra stupid and prohibitive, so it, like buying in the U.S. makes a lot of sense. Also, that's a lot of travel for little cardboard boxes that are easily damaged. Yeah. Uh, so... Like I said, this is not like some revolution, but you can do this once in a while and get away with a little bit of uh, trickery. Again, I paid $21 for this game, and uh, the shipping is inconsequential because I was already paying for shipping. Uh, if you put this in with all the other stuff I shipped, maybe it was like $4 of the shipping. So for $25, I got this game. Yeah, good uh Good deal. I, I, there's no way I would look for a GBA game and think, oh, let me go check eBayCo UK. Maybe it's the fifth the price over there. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm revealing my secrets. Yeah. Uh, to to the show uh, and to our listeners. Like to be clear, like 99 percent of the time you do this, you're just gonna find the PAL version. And I say the PAL version. I mean like you know no ESRB yeah. round right. seal I mean, quality. I say the version. PAL version. That's what that's what people understand. Yeah. Like the, but, uh, yeah. That's what's going to happen most of the time. Anyways, I I also bought one other GBA game. And so there's this weird, again, talking a lot about Harry Potter. 
Um, but there is a rare three in one Harry Potter game. So there, there's a collection, right? And yeah, there's like that PlayStation two bundle that you can get, but that's not even the same bundle. This one actually on one cart has Harry Potter, uh, Sorcerer's Stone, Philosopher's Stone, because it's coming out of Europe, uh, Chamber of Secrets, and Prisoner of Azkaban. And this is a PAL exclusive, so it's not in Japan. It's only a PAL game. And again, I'm saying PAL, but really I mean of uh, U- European territories. And it's released in multiple territories. And uh, that's really annoying um, because the, the box art is actually slightly different on them. And the only thing that's different is that it's like this horrendously stupid looking box. It says Harry Potter collection. And then it's got pictures of the posters. But if it's in like France, the posters will have French text. Oh, in no. Them. Yeah. So there are slight box variants. So it's not even like the same box, even though it could have been because the European cart, which is EU, it says EU dash EUR, has all those languages already on it. But. They didn't do that. So, yeah, you have like four distinct versions or three distinct versions of this game I've found so far. It's very annoying. Don't uh, don't collect GBA unless you're willing to go all the way, kids. Yeah, don't don't use Harry Potter as an exercise to learn about (laughs) like the depths to which pal collecting gets weird. Um, Just just don't just buy pal exclusives and don't care what country or region it comes from. Just be happy that you got the title and check it off your box and move on with life. Don't be an obsessive weirdo. Anyways, uh, that's what I bought. All right. I've been trying to think of a better Harry Potter collector's quest thing. And the only thing I came up with was Dementor's quest. So I'm sorry. I couldn't come up with a, a bad podcast name like projectors quest. Um, Let's end the show. Prop. <laughs> That, well, I was going to say, there's probably something about, like, if you change it to, like, sorcery or magic and you put your brain in that realm looking for puns, you'll probably find something. Oh, wait, what do you mean about magic? I just, oh, I just like, think in about, general? Yeah. Because I was yeah. trying, I think, like, Ministry of Magic, if we turn that into Ministry of something else, that that would be a good Harry Potter Collector's Quest podcast, but... And the problem is, we're never going to have... Uh, something Di- dying on alley dialogue. or whatever it was dialogue, dialogue alley. alley yeah and then like the better one, one that you could, forgot <laughs> yeah well it's i remember now i don't I, well i say i remember now but i asked it oh. was the podcast under the stairs also a good one no that one's too long i like dialogue alley way better the dialogue alley is an excellent name it's it's super good so anyways if you want an interesting podcast about Harry Potter translation collecting, go check out Dialogue Alley. And my friends over there, they do a really good job. And they just added a new host who also brings a ton of information. So go check them out. All right. That's it for the show. Hey, uh, guy, where can we find you? I'm on Instagram, videogamesage.com and YouTube. I'm default gen, default G-E-N. Are you sure? Default J-E-N. There you go. All right. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, and i'm johnny underscore iuchi on instagram you can also find us on our discord or find me on our discord uh and you can become a member of our discord man this is doing okay it's late mm. talking like real bad me big man use good words like tyler uh, <laughs> that's a callback joke uh, from a couple episodes ago anyways 
You can find me on our Discord, which you can become a member of by joining our Patreon at CollectorsQuest.com or Patreon.com slash CollectorsQuest. I'm really good at this right now. Anyways, you can join for as little as two or as much as six dollars but don't spend more than that at the two dollar level you get on the discord and at the four and six dollar level you'll get access to some bonus content and i think we are just released another after dark episode by the time you're hearing this one so check that out all right and uh our host who isn't here stefan you can find him on the art of np on twitter twitter sucks.com that's where you can find him all right that's all we got bye Alright, that's our show. Thank you to the patrons, Richard, patron number one, Bowden, The Willennium, Will Joe, Canadian Variant Alert, Chris Glidden, Nintendo World Champion, Daniel Jaxvik, High End Collector, Andrew Brim, 50 Hertz is good enough for me, Andre, What a 9.88++, Benji, Brian Gupta, and Pocky and Rocky with Becky, Mint Condition, Brian J. Mora, Sophisticated Investor, Cart Mageddon, Fat Cat Collector, Chris Jackson, Chris SNK, Too Many NES Accessories, Morozek, Johnny's GBA Hookup, Coffee with Mr. Saturn, The Last Game You Need for the Set, Corey O'Brien, Unpunched Hang Tab, Dustin Beagle, Mana Nintendo in the World of Nintendo, Funky Brewsta, The Actual Shinobi, Jasonic the Kid, Jeff the Game Boy Ferris, Lance Lord Hardstyle Z, the Degenerate Matfall, Funko Land Employee Platform Agnostic, The Famicom Box Retro Game Enthusiast, Sean the Gamer Collective, Previously Unknown Variant, Tim Walker, Can't Put Limits on Collecting, VG Collectaholic, The Official Seal of Quality, Angie, <laughs> I messed this up last time, and <laughs> The Official Seal of Quality, Andy Jill Selector? Keeper of the Zelda variant, Zero X Def Code, the actually rare Bird Dog Gaming, Brandon Rogers, whose favorite episode is the wrestling episode, still finding deals in 2021 somehow, Colton Murphy, Derek Lauer, who made me edit this show, Jeremy Jarvis, here for the Pog Talk, Jim Jacobs, world record holder of Best Collection, video game art collector because video games are art, Justin Chichio. Lateral Movement, who's got a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. Michael posted in the Discord right now, Chiara Monti. Nick, the video game database, Morgan. The other guy who collects Korean releases, Peaceful Games. The Promoter, Retro RPG Podcast. Tex, who collects for Jaguar. Tom, Obscure Variant Chaser Chase. Getting the full PS2 set because Stefan won't. All caps. Red Pyramid Thing, Jonathan Shados. David Green, he's got that on vinyl. Andrew actually collecting N-Gage O. B-Nugs. B-Nugs. Corhagen does what Nintendo don't. Daniel McArdle, who thought this was the Retronauts Patreon. The Xbox Authority, Danny Gomez. The Philatelist, Dork Overlord. My childhood PlayStation idol, Game-Rave.com. Joe actually plays his games, Champ Pity. Homebrew Mastermind, Nick Ryan. Sean, the video game Illuminati LaCroix, and Joseph Rogers got 50,000 on Double Dragon? That's a The Wizard reference, Joseph. I hope you get that. All right, thank you guys so much.